Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 is our study of the book of Philippians. 46 years and going strong. I thank God for my wife. Um, I kid a lot. We, I, I, you know, we were at the mall the other day holding hands, and I looked over and saw an older couple, and they were just sweet, looked like they were in love. I said, that's, that's us in a couple of years. She said, silly, that's a mirror. So, <laughs> do you know what? I, 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 some people, when I say what I'm about to say, they, they get kind of a sick look on their face like, you know, you got to be kidding me. But I'm going to tell you, it's the honest truth, that we are, after 46 years, still on our honeymoon. And, and the reason we do that, the reason we want that, I, and I want that to be the case, is to me, if you get off the honeymoon, it seems to me like you're starting to take each other for granted. It seems to me like you quit putting the other person first. It seems to me like uh, things become too routine. So I don't ever want to be off our honeymoon. However many years God gives us, I want it to be uh, still on our honeymoon. So uh, for those of you that uh, are not yet married, you're looking, uh, you look, man, let God bring the right person into your life because that makes all the difference in the world. He can pick a lot better than you can. For those of you that are already married, uh, sorry about that. Uh, it's too late for you. You've got the person God has for you, so make it work, and God will make it work. If you will do your part, he'll do his part. Um, but it's a, it's a wonderful thing, and I thank God for my wife. Thank you, Pat, for loving me all these years. All right, Philippians chapter 3, uh, Paul writing about being joyful, and uh, Philippians is the real deal on how to be, you know, there's so many books in the library and how to be uh, joyous and how to ha- be happy and how to have a fulfilled life, but I'm going to tell you, nothing is going to equal uh, the, the teachings of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. There are three things that for sure can rob us of joy, three things that can rob us. First of all, circumstances can rob us from joy. Uh, you may be having car trouble this week. That can kind of rob your joy if you're not careful. You may have a flat tire. That kind of robs you of your joy. You may have taxes due coming up this month, uh, quarterly tax payment. That may rob you of joy. Uh, circumstances, maybe uh, maybe you've got the flu, you've got a cold, or you're not feeling good, or Bobby, you've got a bum knee. I don't know. Uh, something. Circumstances uh, can can take our joy. But I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul was in jail when he wrote this, I can't think of many circumstances that I would probably not like as much as going to jail. So, uh, so circumstances don't have to keep you from that. People can also rob us of joy. People that you work for, people that you work around, people that you live next door to, dogs that live next door to you who bark under your bedroom window at odd times of the day and night. Uh, that can rob you of joy if you're not careful. Uh, but I got to remind you, too, that the Apostle Paul had people who were out to absolutely silence him. They were out to, I mean, they were out to kill him. That's about as, as silent as they could make him, as to take his life from him. In fact, one time they did and stone him to death, and God raised him from the dead. So people, circumstances, people, and things. Things um, tend to, uh, to, to cause us uh, grief and, and can rob us of our joy. And there are a lot of ways that they do that, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But too many Christians get wrapped up in the trap of wanting things and making things the most and the highest objective in our lives. And they lose the joy and they lose the peace uh, that God wants them to have in Jesus Christ. And that's why in the verse 19 of this chapter, it says, uh, they that mind earthly things. It talks about people minding 
earthly things. Now, I know we've got to give attention to some things on, on the earth, your job, your, your, your responsibilities, and your family, and so on. But we need to be heavenly minded while we're taking care of the things that we need to take care of here on earth. Ten times in the King James Version of the Bible, Philippians chapter 3, ten times it's used the word things, ten different times. So uh, here Paul is talking about the spiritual mind, the mind that thinks God's thoughts and is directed towards God instead of things. And lest you get caught up in this idea of accumulation, You've seen the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's a lie. He who dies with the most toys is dead. And somebody else gets his things. So that kind of ought to tick you if things are your your goal in life. Um, That philosophy is not right. And yet we as Christians, how much does it take to satisfy us? Uh, The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Now, where does contentment, does that battle with ambition? Should you just say, oh, well, I'll just sit here. Whatever God gives me, I'll be content with it. Well, God's not going to give you a whole lot if you're just going to sit down and wait for everything to come to you. So there's nothing wrong with having uh, personal ambition and drive and striving and working and running hard in the race of life. Nothing wrong with all those things. Uh, But we need to learn alongside of that contentment that when we do the best that we can and we have what we have, that we need to be content and realize how blessed we are to have those things. Steve Jobs had a lot of things, but he's dead now. As far as I know, he didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, things can actually make us unhappy. Things cost us money. We have to insure them. They break. They got to be repaired. They got to be replaced after a little while. They've got to be protected. They got to be locked up. They, they make us, I reference Steve Jobs, uh, you know, about the time you get your iPhone, they come out with a new version and a new operating system, and everything you've got is, uh, is obsolete, and pretty soon you can't use some of the programs you were using because, uh, because it's, it's old stuff. It's, my goodness, it's so six months ago, you know what I mean? And so technology kind of, but we, we've got to, never satisfied is the motto of the day for a lot of Christians. But I'm going to tell you, we as Christians should be satisfied and content because of three things we're going to share with you today from Philippians chapter 3. First of all is salvation. Salvation has to do with the Christian's past. Listen to what he says in, in verse 1 of uh, chapter 3. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, look, that's a blanket statement. Whatever happens... My dear brothers and sisters, no matter, I don't know what's going to happen this week to you. I don't know what's going to happen to me this week. But listen, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now, what does rejoice mean? Anybody know? What is joyce? What's the root word? Joy. So re means again, right? like replenish or do it again, rejoice, be happy, be joyful in the Lord. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Joy is a, is a feeling, it's an emotion, and it's a byproduct of our living and our habits. Joy is also, though, an action. We are to rejoice. We are to re-up on our joy. We're to re-enlist for more joy. It's a new day. This is the day the Lord has made. We're to come to God today and say, God, fill me with your joy today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today. 
I took some slides of, of a place that maybe some of you have been to called uh, Salvation Mountain. How many have been there? Huh? All three of us. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's on the uh, east side of the Salton Sea uh, and uh, out in the middle of nowhere, out, out, out by Slab City. Anybody know what Slab City is? Same guy. Okay. Same guy. Yeah, we need to get together if we can talk about old times back here. You work out there. Oh, what do you do out there? So you go right past this all the time? Yeah, okay. Well, then he knows exactly where this is. Show them, show them the next slide here. Uh, and this is from a little different vantage point. And, and up here, I'm going to get to these guys in just a minute in the white shirts and ties. Well, that's me next to the white shirts and ties. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, on the last slide here, they, they have all these little grottos, these little areas inside of this. They, well, this is basically just a bunch of mud and branches and tires and straw that have been kind of, you know, like adobed in together. And then they paint over that. And some guy was responsible initially for doing all of that. And, and uh, why in the world would I talk about that? Well, uh, because the next thing he says here, besides rejoice in the Lord, and it's kind of a fun thing to see, but rejoice in the Lord. But then the next thing he says is watch out. Watch out. Verse 2. Watch out for dogs, the people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Now, those guys that are gone, uh, they were up on top of the mountain with me, and the, they were representing another religion. They were representing a cult. They were there. There was a whole mission team of them, uh, and, and they were talking to anybody who would listen to them about how it was important to be baptized in their church only in order to really be saved, and how that they could have multiple uh, spouses, and, and, and that that was God's will for them, and uh, how that the works was necessary for salvation. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, but watch out. While you're rejoicing, while you're being happy, be careful. Because there are dogs out there, and, and, and he's, not, um, he's, not being, well, he's not being mean. He's just being truthful here. Uh, the Jews often called Gentiles dogs. They, they, were, they were looked down upon, and Paul here uh, uses it to refer to the legalizers. What were legalizers? Legalizers were people who added anything to the grace of God for salvation. Strictly speaking, a legalist is someone who says, in order to be saved, yeah, you've got to trust Christ as your Savior, but then you also have to, and they fill in the blank. Isn't that right, Robert? You have to be baptized, or you have to join the church, or you have to tithe, or you have to um, you know, come to however many services are a week, or you have to help little old ladies across the street, to, you know, or whatever. I mean, anything that you add to it then becomes a, that person then is a legalist. And so he says, watch out. For those dogs, those who are legalizers, uh, it, it was a term of, of, uh, of degradation, and, and that's because they never met my pups, which are just wonderful, wonderful puppies. But, uh, but uh, he's just saying, that, beware of them. They're evil workers. They, work, they do damage to the cause of Christ. They, many of them came out of Judaism that was hung up on the law. We sang about it a little while ago. The, they misunderstood the purpose for the law. The writer of Hebrews tells us the purpose of the law was to be a schoolmaster or a teacher to explain to us what things were right, what things were wrong, what God wanted us to do and be, and what he didn't want us to do and be. It was to instruct us to show us that we are sinners and that we have a need. If we didn't know we were sinners, we wouldn't know we have a need. And so, uh, so the, the, the Jews 
kind of twisted that and turned that and said, well, if I, if I keep all of these laws, and they had how many? I can't remember now, Robert, 600 and some laws that, that they cooked up that said you've got to do all these things, these 600 and some things uh, that you had to do to be right with God. They became legalizers, depending on their own ability to keep certain laws in order to be right with God. That is a definition of legalism. So he says, be careful of the dogs. They're evil workers. They're flesh mutilators. Uh, In the King James, it doesn't even refer to circumcision, but rather to concision, which means from the Latin, with cutting. And and it was an idea of uh, if you're not circumcised like we were under Judaism, then there's no way you can be part of the family of God. And yet, uh, that never was works, never was salvation, rather, dependent on works. Not under the Old Testament, not under the New Testament. Works never earned salvation. No man, no woman could ever be good enough to go to heaven without the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So verse 3, uh, then uh, here uh, in 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 Philippians 3, for we are the circumcision who rejoice who worship God, rather, in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in the flesh. We are saved by grace. We are the real, uh, the real circumcision. Uh, Paul's bragging rights are given here in verse 4. He said, look, if, if, if you can be saved by works, then listen to my pedigree here. He said that I might have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinks that he has reasons for which he might trust in the flesh, I more or more so. I was circumcised, he says, the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, I was a Pharisee, and concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is the law, blameless, but what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss to Christ. He said, I, 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 I thought I was doing right. I thought I was gaining rewards. I thought I was earning God's acceptance. He said, but those things I did, I did. they were for me. They weren't for God. God's not looking for us to earn anything. We can't do it. But we come on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 7, he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done for me. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Folks, that's it. If you know, I don't care if you're a, if you're a, a brain surgeon today. I don't care if you are a, a nuclear physicist, if that goes together. I don't care if you're a scientist. If you don't know Christ, you don't know what's really important. Because knowing Christ is everything. Knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he continues, he says, for this sake I have discarded everything else. I don't talk about my circumcision. I don't talk about my good works. I don't talk about my persecuting the church, my zeal for God and the things of God. I count it all as garbage, refuse. Why? So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. He says, I no longer, he used to, but I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, instead of that, I become righteous through faith in Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, something miraculous takes place inside of you. And you are born again. You are born from heaven. God becomes your father. You are transformed from the inside out. You see, works try to change us from the outside in. It doesn't work. 
He transforms us from the inside out. He says, rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And then he says in verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, if if Philippians talks a lot about joy, and it does, and it talks about rejoicing, getting, getting refilled with the joy of God, and it does, it also, I don't know if you've noticed, has talked a lot about suffering. Anybody here ever had to suffer in your life? Anybody? All of us have, to some extent or another. Some suffer more than others, yeah. I just got, I got um, some news, Pat, uh, about Mike Veres today. And, and a young man, I, I think probably about 40, about 40 years of age, and he's got, he's got stage 4 cancer throughout his body. He's in ex- extreme pain. He was just a little kid when we went to our other church, our former church, and um, and, and there's nothing they can do for him. They're just trying to alleviate uh, the pain. He is suffering. Folks, that is mega suffering. I, I don't know that kind of suffering. I know other kinds of suffering. Sometimes we go through physical suffering, sometimes emotional, uh, all kinds. But, uh, but all of us go through suffering. And, and that's part of it. So along with the joy comes suffering because we're part of a fallen humanity, a fallen race in a fallen world. But he says here, one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I had a funeral yesterday for a great friend, incredible guy, 72 years of age, loved God, served God, loved his wife, loved his kids, loved his grandkids, had a tremendous testimony, unbelievable funeral. He passed away uh, because death is coming to everybody here. Did you know that? One of these days, I'll have a service for you and for me somewhere, somewhere, and, and you won't be there. Your earthly body may be there, um, but you'll already be in heaven or in hell, depending on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Depending on if you, by faith, trusted him, or through faith, by grace through faith, trusted him, or you trusted your own ability to get yourself there. Now, he says here, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering made conformable unto death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now look at verse, uh, so, so this is salvation. That's the, the Christian's past. If you are a Christian today, there was a point in time at which you got saved. I was about eight years of age. Some of you were about the same age. Some here a little younger maybe, some older. Uh, some just maybe not so, so long ago, you received Christ. That's salvation. That's your past. What are you saved from? You're saved from eternity in hell. You're saved from your sins and the power of sins. And someday we'll be saved from the presence of sin. But look at sanctification is where we get to in verse 12. That's the Christian's present. God is sanctifying. God is working on you. What is sanctification? It's a big word. It is becoming more and more set apart unto God more and more dedicated unto God as we learn more about him, becoming more like him. Now, look at how Paul phrases it in verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on 
to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature on, agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make, make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. So he, he switches into... Um, the uh, the vernacular here of a runner. How many here are runners? Let me see your hands. How many of you used to run? I'll put my hand up now. It's pretty obvious. I haven't run in a while. I used to. Um, I I got started. I uh, actually I ran a little bit in high school cross country. I don't know why. I just did. My dad said I was practicing to be a coward. I don't know why I ran cross country, but I did. But when I got uh, out here in California, and everybody's out jogging all the time, and it's like, what? And so I had this guy as a pilot live right around the corner from me, and he, started, he, he kept saying, you need to run. We need to run. We need to run. Okay, whatever. So I got out and run with it. I'm telling you what, we would run uh, about two miles down to, and run back. Well, the first time I ran with him, you know, the street kind of curves around a little bit, and I'm, I am dying I'm absolutely, I can't get any wind. I'm, I'm, everything's hurting. I'm not feeling good. I think I'm going to be sick. And so as soon as he got around the curve and the fence, I stopped running and I walked. Why'd you do that, preacher? Because I wanted to live. I didn't want to die right there in the street. I was dying. I really was. And so uh, and then, I, then when I get around where you could see me again, I'd start running again. That's kind of cheating, huh? It's kind of a hypocrite. That's that. Well, that's what I was. And, uh, and so I ran with him for several months until finally one day I thought, you know what? I can, I can, I can take him. And so, uh, so, I, so he's ahead of me. He's always ahead of me. And so he, he'd look back there once in a while. And so I switched over to the other side of the street And I, when I made my move. So I, I made my move. So he's looking, and he's not seeing me. And then he finally sees me as I pass him on this side, and I beat him. I cheated, but I beat him. So, uh, but then he got me, and then I got some guys that were, some SEALs that were running a, uh, the, the half marathon here at, in Coronado. And I'm thinking, 13 point, what miles? Are you kidding me? Why would you do that? And so they taught me into running that. So I, I ran it and uh, did it in pretty good time. I was impressed and uh, got the T-shirt. Got my, I still got it at home. I'm so proud of it. I'm going to have it bronzed or something. It's a 1978 Coronado Half Marathon T-shirt. I, wore it to, I was so proud of it. I wore it to vacation Bible school one time. A little old girl came up to me and said, Coronado Half Marathon. How come he didn't run the whole thing? <laughs> I very seldom have ever had a desire to smack a little girl. But on that particular day, I just... Uh, it's all I could do not to do that. But, but uh, uh, running, in order to run, you, 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 you've got to lay aside some things. You don't run in, in full, well, unless you're a SEAL going through training. You don't run in, in boots, combat boots. And you don't run in, in a full-on uniform or, or heavy you know, overcoat or, or whatever. You, you, you get runner shoes that are really light. You wear clothing that's really light. You, you, you try to lay aside all the things that would slow you down. And that's what he's saying here. Lay aside the things. Uh, forget the past. Look, uh, we, don't, we don't live in the past. You know why? Because God is not the I was. And we don't live in the future because he's not the I shall be. We live in the present because he is the great I am. And he is here for you right now. 
And so, so put the past down. We've all messed up in the past, and the devil loves to remind you of that. Tell him to leave you alone. It's all under the blood. You confessed it to Christ. Christ has forgiven you. He has cleansed you. He has washed you. He has made you his child. Live in the victory of the present, uh, trusting the great I am. And so forget the things that are past. Look forward to what lies ahead. You know what you focus on? You focus on the goal. You focus on the end of the race. You keep running. I'm not through running. I'm semi-retired. I'm not through running. And until I close my eyes for the last time, until I lay down for the last time, until this heart quits beating the last beat, I'm not through, and neither are you. You run until the race, your race is over. Press on, press on, press on. When you're running and, and when you're really, you, you have to press on. It's a mental thing too. You have to make yourself. They say the, the marathon, I've never run a marathon. My son and my daughter-in-law run marathons, Ironman stuff, all that weird. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm more power to them, but I, I've never done it. So, but I, I hear about the wall. You hit the wall. I hit the wall the first time I ran it about a block. I didn't have to go any 26 miles to hit the wall. It was like a block away. And I said, oh, man. But, but you know what? Uh, we, we keep on running until we cross the finish line. That's what we do as Christians. And it's a sanctification process. Hopefully, you're more like Christ today than you were a year ago. Hopefully, if you're still on the face of the earth a year from now, we're more like Christ then than we are today. That's the sanctification. Salvation in the past, sanctification, sanctification ongoing. And then the third thing here, glorification the Christian's future. Glorification, the Christian's future. Let's skip down to verse 17 because we're about out of time. Verse 17, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Wow. That's what Paul said. Now, stop and think about that. Do you and I have the kind of life to where we could say to our friends, follow me as I follow Christ? Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross. Enemies of the cross of Christ, and they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we, Paul says, we who are born again, we who are children of God, we who are saved, are citizens of heaven, where God the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under control. I don't know if anybody here remembers this, but I, I used to read comic books. I used to go down to the corner drugstore, and I'd get, every time a new comic would come out, I'd get it once a month, um, 10 cents for a comic book. Anybody remember that? Hey, yes, okay. And, and in the back, sometimes, you, you remember those comic book ads? Remember that you could sell seeds you know, packages of seeds and make money and, and earn things and all that. But, but there was one that was always there, this real skinny guy, uh, and, and he's got glasses on, and he's at the beach, you know, and, and, and some big guy with big bulging biceps comes up and kicks sand in his face and walks off with his girlfriend under his arm. You know, that, that you, you, you guys are familiar with that, anyhow. So what's the guy do? You know, poor guy, he just lost his girlfriend to this big bruiser guy. So, so he sends off. For this workout plan, this Charles Atlas workout plan. 
So after six weeks or whatever it is, here he is. All of a sudden, he's had LASIK eye surgery, I guess, because he doesn't have his glasses on. And he's got huge biceps and, and, and a big and a narrow waist. And he's walking around. And he goes back and kicks sand in the other guy's face and takes his girlfriend back. What does that have to do with anything? Well, one of these days, folks, all the injustices done to Christians is going to stop. All the kicking sand in the face of Christians is going to stop. All the beheadings going on of Christians is going to stop. All the persecution of Christ's followers is going to stop. All of the, you know, in, in our own nation today, we, we are already, we, you know we are. We are under attack. And it's going to come more and more. I have not known persecution in the United States of America, but I would not be surprised if I'm not going to live long enough to see it because it's right at the doorstep, if not already got its nose in the tent, so to speak. They're headed for destruction, but they're going to take as many down as they can before that happens. Paul warns about them. So he says, do be, do be like me. And we need to be examples that other people can follow. And he says, don't be like the enemies of the cross because their end is destruction. I don't know about you. I don't want anything to do with hell. I believe there's a heaven. I believe there's a hell. I don't believe in a purgatory. I believe there's a heaven or a hell. And I believe it depends where we're going on our relationship to Jesus Christ. If we have asked him to be our Savior, if we've trusted him as our Lord and Master, then the Bible says we're going, then heaven is our home. We had that funeral yesterday, and, and the casket was right down here. And, and, and I said that Jesus Christ is coming back one of these days. And when he comes back, those who, of our loved ones who have gone to be with him, they're going to come back with him. And their bodies are going to be raised, and then we're going to be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and a fraction of a nanosecond, we're going to be changed and transformed. And we're all all going to have glorified bodies, and we're going to go to be with Jesus Christ forever, and things are going to be right from that point on. No more injustices, no more sin, no more power of sin, no more temptations that we just seemingly can't resist. Amen. It's coming. They, that old thing, if I read the back of the book and we win, you know, it's true. We really do. But ours is to run the race until that happens. Ours is to be faithful until that happens. Ours is to be faithful until the very end. Ours is to try to pattern our life after the Apostle Paul, pattern our life after Jesus Christ as much as we possibly can, not to follow the world's end, which is destruction, and their God, which are their appetites, and their glory, which really is shame, and their focus, which are earthly things, because our citizenship is in heaven. We have dual citizenship. We're citizens of the United States of America, but we are citizens of a city... uh, the, the New Jerusalem and, and, and heaven beyond that. Our Savior is Jesus Christ. Our Transformer is the Holy Spirit. These kids, Transformers are not a new thing. God's been transforming people for thousands of years. So you ready to be Superman? You ready to be Superwoman? You can only do so through the door of salvation and the regimen of sanctification and the transformation of glorification. So let me ask you something. Have you quit trusting your own abilities and began trusting God and Him alone for salvation? Because I'll tell you, if you're trusting anything or anyone else, if you're trusting your membership in this church or your baptism or your denomination, if you're trusting anything or anyone else, that's legalism. Second question, are you more concerned about things in this life than you are about eternity and things in the life to come? And do you want to be changed permanently, empowered by God 
to live for him forever, then come to Christ. Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That's your reasonable service. Guess what you are? Well, I'm, I'm a carpenter. No, that's what you do. Guess what you are? You're a Christian if you've trusted Christ. You are a full-time Christian. It's not just preachers and worship leaders or whatever who are full-time. You're to be a full-time Christian in whatever employment, whatever, wherever you are. You're to be a full-time Christian serving God, a pattern and an example. So rejoice. It's going to get real good one of these days. Until then, it's going to be tough. There'll be some suffering. But I'd rather be on God's side and go through the suffering than to not be on his side and go through the suffering that comes after this life. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our Father in heaven, I pray that we would experience the emotion of rejoicing, refilling with joy today. And I pray that we would practice the command and the verb of rejoicing, replenishing that joy today. I pray that we'd not let circumstances nor people keep us from that. I pray we'd not let things keep us from the joy and the contentment that we ought to have in Christ. I pray that we'd not be depending upon our own abilities, our own gifts, our own talents, our own skills. I pray we would trust completely in you. And Father, if there are people here this morning who sincerely are seeking to know you as their personal Savior and Lord, may today be the day that they willingly put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And God, may you lead this church. This is your body. You're the head. You're the leader. May you lead this church in the path that you have for it. May you be with these leadership team members. May they be so filled with your Holy Spirit that they please you in all that they do, all the decisions that they make. May you give every member here a heart's desire to follow their spiritual leadership at a time that could be critical and crucial. And we'll give you all praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.